Open up your Bible to Galatians chapter 5. I'm going to run through just a couple of the announcements as quick as possible and not take any more of our time into the study this morning, but today's the last day to sign up for women's retreat. So my wife is up here underneath the blue tent. Autumn, you raise your hand. So if you have not yet, ladies, turned in your uh, paperwork for that, today's the day to do so. Payments are also needed at that time. Uh, if you, for some reason, need some kind of an extension, extenuating circumstances, uh, we may consider that. So uh, please just speak to my wife if today's the first time you've heard about it. We still want you to come, and, and we'll see what we can do. Youth missions trip is coming up. There's a sign-up sheet over here for that. Uh, details are in the announcement. Next week is the baptism and potluck. So following service down at Centennial Park, we're going to go together down there for a baptism. It looks like there's about 11 or 12 people who have already signed up to be baptized. So if you would like to be baptized, some people said, hey, when I was a kid, I was baptized, but it was just kind of a thing. It didn't really mean nothing to me. Now I'm walking with the Lord and it's something different. Should I be baptized again? The question isn't about should you or should you not. The question is, do you? Would you? You know, we're walking in obedience to Christ and, and making an outward sign, an outward showing of the inward change that has happened as a result of our following Christ. So if you've already been baptized as a, as a child or as an infant and it was something that was more of a ritual than a relational thing for you now, now's the time to do it. So it's, it's, it's right. It's good. Just come talk to me and we'll, we'll get you on the list to, to be baptized, whether it's, it was that your situation or your very first time. And then we'll have a potluck. Um, at the Bridge Youth Center, 310 Main Street, directly following. So it'll be fried chicken and homemade spaghetti. So it uh, should be really good. Um, women's ministries and men's ministry Bible studies are beginning in the bulletin. It says September 20th. There's a typo there. Please make a note. It will be Wednesday, September 27th. That's when men's and women's Bible studies will begin going through the book of Philippians. And we are looking for some child care for Wednesday evenings. It's a paid volunteer position. I don't understand that, but paid volunteer. You get some money to help out um, in doing that, but 15 years and older, and also speak to my wife as well. And this Thursday, our men's group, once a month, we go to U-Turn for Christ as a men's group. We leave here at the church. We drive out to Florence together in one of the vans from the church. Be here at 6 o'clock if you'd like to go there and participate in a uh, devotional with them in a time of prayer. And lastly, another sign-up sheet which is over there, if you wish to be a part of a home group, and you, even if you are already a part of one of the home groups that have taken the break through the summer, please get your name back on the list so that we can uh, get an accounting for everybody, and we're wanting to have some meetings and plannings with the team leaders, the home group leaders. So please sign up for that, and um, yeah, home groups are a great way to be able to build uh, relationships within the church. So Galatians chapter 5 is where we're at this morning. We're finishing the book of Galatians. Today, or excuse me, uh, next week, uh, we'll finish chapter 5 this morning, and um, I'm going to pray, and then we're going to get into it. Father, as we finish this chapter and continue on through our, our study through the book of Galatians, Father, and realize that there's no hope for us apart from the indwelling of the Holy Spirit and salvation by grace through faith, Father, I, I ask as we, as we look at this chapter of, of, of doctrinal application, Lord, that we would see how to live our lives by grace through faith in you the blessings and the benefit that it is. So we'd be free from the rules and regulations and, 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 and the law of the Old Testament, Lord, to live for you in, in relationship through your Holy Spirit. Father, teach us, make truth known to us, and we pray these things in Jesus' name. 
Amen. So, who knows December 7th, 1941? Does that ring a bell with anyone? Yeah, the older generation knows. The younger guys are like, I don't know that. Well, in December 7th, 1941, the Empire of Japan attacked the United States Naval Forces in Pearl Harbor. In this act of aggression, reluctantly, it was the event that reluctantly drew the United States into the Second World War against Nazi Germany and the Axis forces. But nearly a year before that, the war had already been going on. A year before that tragic day, on January 6, 1941, the United States, being still a spectator in that war, we know that President Franklin D. Roosevelt addressed Congress. And he shared a vision of the kind of world he wanted to see after the war was over. Listen to this staggering fact. A war that would continue until September 2nd, 1945 and claim the lives of nearly 72 million people. And as President Roosevelt spoke of the type of world he hoped we would all be living in when the fighting of the war was over, he shared a vision for four basic freedoms enjoyed by all people. The freedom of speech, the freedom of worship, the freedom from want, and the freedom from fear. And it's true that to some degree, these four freedoms have been achieved on a much greater scale than they were back in 1941. But here this morning, as we continue on through Galatians chapter 5, it is very evident from what the Apostle Paul writes to us here is that we are still in need of a fifth freedom to be free from ourself, to be free from the oppression of our sin nature. And when Paul wrote this letter to the Galatians, it was in response, as we know, to false teachers who believed that they had the answer. At the root of their philosophical teaching, they believed believed that, that, that they had the answer to the problem of our sin nature with the law, saying this, that the law is needed to control us. The law is needed to guide us. The law is needed to keep us in the will of God. But in the first 12 verses of this chapter, which we studied through a couple weeks ago, Paul explained that there was no amount of legislation, no amount of rules, no amount of regulations that can change us from the inside to change our basics in nature. On the contrary, it's not the law on the outside, but what Paul will speak to us here now in these verses, it is the love of God on the inside that makes this difference. Therefore, we need another power within us. And that power comes from the Holy Spirit of God. Consequently, this letter to the Galatians contains 14 references to the Holy Spirit. You can go and count them and, and read them for yourselves. I'm going to highlight a few this morning. In Galatians chapter 3, verse 2, it tells us that when we believe in Jesus, the Holy Spirit comes to dwell within us. Also, in Galatians chapter 4, verse 29, it says that we, like Isaac was, are born. We receive this new birth, a spiritual birth, the Bible says, according to to the Holy Spirit. And then in the same chapter, back in verse 6 of Galatians chapter 4, we're told that the Holy Spirit has been sent into our hearts as an assurance or a guarantee 
of our salvation, of the forgiveness of our sins and the promise of eternal life that God has deposited, deposited, made a deposit into us, meaning his Holy Spirit for this assurance. And in light of these truths, we understand that it is the Holy Spirit within us who controls us. Look at this in the contrast of what I pointed out. Not the law, not rules, not regulations, but it is the Holy Spirit that controls us. It is the Holy Spirit that guides us. It is the Holy Spirit that enables us and equips us today through his empowering, through his indwelling, to live for Jesus and ultimately to bring glory to God our Father. Not the law. Not the law. And so what does this mean? For us today, it means that we must realize that the Holy Spirit is not simply a divine influence. That's where we must start. He, the Holy Spirit, is a divine person, just like God the Father and God the Son are. So listen, so what God the Father has planned for us, he has a plan for us. He has a plan for your life, intimately, personally, specifically, what God has planned for us, what he's planned for you, and what the God, God the Son, Jesus Christ, has purchased for us on the cross Here we have it, that God the Holy Spirit then personalizes the plan and the purchasing to apply it to our lives as we yield to him so that we may live and walk by the Spirit of God. Now in the remaining verses of this chapter, picking back up here in verse 13, Paul goes on to explain If you're taking notes this morning, this is going to be the breakdown of what we go through. He begins to explain to us three if you will, ministries or workings of the Holy Spirit that enable us, equip us, who have received God's saving grace through our faith to enjoy the freedom, the liberty that we have, that we've been called to in Jesus Christ. And so if you're taking notes, the first working or ministry of the Holy Spirit is this. The Holy Spirit enables us to fulfill the law of love. And I don't want to get too far into this now, but we know that, that, that if we say that we love God, the Bible says, and, and, and don't love our brothers, says we're, we're liar, that we don't know God at all. Jesus said that if you love me, you'll keep my commands. Jesus said that we'll be known by our love for one another. All of these aspects of this call to love is ultimately enabling of the Holy Spirit. How do, how do we fulfill all of that? By and through the Holy Spirit. The second ministry or working of the Holy Spirit in our life is that the Holy Spirit enables us, think about this, to overcome our flesh, our sin nature that still lives with inside of us, that battles against the, 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 the Spirit of God who lives and dwells with us and in us now. And then lastly, we'll talk about this at the end of our study this morning, the Holy Spirit enables us to produce fruit, right? And that's a very important thing because we produce fruit naturally. The Bible says the works of the flesh are evident. We're going to read that. But the fruit of the Spirit, God in us, is a completely different kind of fruit that brings forth and bears a completely different thing in and through our lives. And the Holy Spirit works, enables to produce fruit in us. And so we read in verse 13. It says, for you, brethren, have been called to liberty. We've been called to freedom, right? Not to the law, not to bondage. We've been set free through the blood of Jesus Christ. Paul says here again, you, brethren, have been called to liberty, to freedom. Only, he says, do not use your liberty, do not use your freedom as an opportunity for the flesh. But through love, here's the answer. How do we do this? Through love and how love 
Through love, serve one another. For the law is fulfilled in one word, even this. You shall love your neighbor as yourself. But, he says in verse 15, if you bite and devour one another, beware, lest you be consumed by one another. For you, brethren, for us, brothers and sisters, today we've been called to liberty. And this is a truth, we know this truth, is something that Paul has pointed out over and over again as we have read through the book of Galatians and studied it up to this point. The Christian life, the true Christian life, which is rooted in the true gospel message, is a message of a Christian life of liberty, of freedom. And Jesus came to set the captives free, not to keep them in bondage or put them in bondage all over again. In light of this, think about this now, because this is where my mind goes. In light of this, I think it's worth asking, do people see us? And I don't want to speak for anyone outside of this church, but here now, those who attend, those who claim Livingstone Calvary Chapel as your home church, do people see you? Do they see us as people of freedom and liberty? Do they look at our lives by the way that we live and come to these conclusions that they are free in Christ, because the fact of the matter is that Christians, and you know this as well as I do, Christians by the world outside are often, we're often seen or viewed as those who are more bound up or more hung up than anyone else. And as Paul continued, he spoke this admonition here in verse 13, telling us, who have been called to liberty to not use our freedom in Jesus as an opportunity for our flesh, as an excuse or a justification to enter into sin. But as an opportunity, he says, rather, but as an opportunity through love to serve one another. Our freedom in Christ, having been set free to live this life according to a relationship with God the Father through the Son Jesus and the indwelling of the Holy Spirit, all of that is so that we might love and serve one another. And the fact of the matter is, Paul speaking this admonition, this warning, if you will, because he knows that we're all prone to go to extremes. Human beings are prone to go to extremes, meaning there are some who would interpret liberty, as we read it here, to mean license, right? They think your liberty is some kind of a license, and we wrongly think that our call to liberally means those who think it's a license, that we can do whatever we want to do, whenever we want to do it, and however we want to do it, but that's not so. While on the other hand, the other extreme is that there are some of us who see this message over and over again being brought here as some kind of error, and we go to the opposite extreme, and we impose laws and rules and regulations on ourselves and on people around us. However, what we've known, what we've learned as we've gone through this is these two kinds of extremes are not good. They're not godly. They're not right. And they are not what true Christian liberty is about. So when Paul begins by explaining our calling and says once again here, we are called, what's our call? We're called to liberty in Christ Jesus. This is exactly what he means. And the Greek word for liberty is the word eleotherae. And according to the Strong's Greek lexicon, it means this. I love this because it puts it in context. It puts it in perspective. He says this, it's the freedom to live as we should but not as we please. 
We're called to live as we should, as followers of Jesus Christ, and not as we please. And so when we see ourselves as free people, we must know that in, in light of the fact that we're free from the guilt of sin, because we've experienced God's forgiveness, because we're free from the penalty of sin, because Jesus died for us on the cross, and we're free from the power of sin in our daily lives because of the Holy Spirit now living inside of us. Therefore, let me read that to you again, free from the guilty of sin, free from the power of sin, free from the penalty of sin, therefore we are also now free from the law, as Paul said this over and over again, with its demands and its threats. Why? Because Jesus took the curse of the law upon himself and ended its reign over us once and for all. And so this is why we've been called into liberty. What is that again? Free, called and freed to live as we should, not as we please. Because we're called, as Galatians chapter one, back at the very beginning, verse six says, into the grace of Jesus Christ. We've been called to live in the grace of Jesus Christ, in his righteousness, not in our own. And the bottom line is that grace and liberty go together. Not the grace, not grace and the law, right? Not the circle of law and the circle of grace somehow overlapping themselves, but it is the, the circle of grace and the circle of liberty Go together, and having spoken of our call to liberty, then Paul, again here in verse 13, very clearly and very concisely says, don't allow your liberty to degenerate into a license, into an opportunity for our flesh, for our sin nature, for sin to come back into our lives and over our lives. And this is what those who do not understand the true meaning of the grace of God fear the most. Why? Because they believe that if a person does away with rules and regulations and the laws of God, right? Then there will be chaos and then there will be anarchy. And the fact of the matter is that this danger is real, but not because of God's grace somehow failing us or not somehow being enough for us. It's because we as human beings fall short of the glory of God. And this is what Hebrews chapter 12, verses 14 and 15 tells us when it says this. Listen, it says, Pursue peace with all people and holiness, without which no one will see the Lord, looking carefully lest anyone fall short of the grace of God. So think about it. If there is the true, the true grace of God, what does that mean? What does that imply? It means or it implies that there is also a false grace of God. Right? If there is this true grace of God, as the Bible refers to it, then there must also be this false grace of God. And in 1 Peter chapter 5, verse 12, it tells us this. And also according to Jude chapter, or verse 4, we know that there are false teachers. And these are the ones that are bringing forth this false grace of God, changing, as it says in Jude 4. Listen, this is the heart of it. The grace of God into lewdness, meaning ultimately into a license for immorality. I can do whatever I want because I'm saved by grace. And that's a perversion. That's not the true grace of God. And Paul's caution is valid. And therefore, our Christian liberty is not a license to sin, but what is it a license for? 
It is, as Paul said at the end of verse 13, an opportunity through love to serve one another. That's the door that's been opened up for us in our freedom, through our freedom in Christ. And, and this should really be seen as a, as a commandment. It's a, it's, 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 a, it's a commandment of love alongside all the other commandments to love with the key word being love. And I, su- I suppose that if we, if we try to formulate this, if I was to maybe put it into a mathematical equation, we could say that liberty plus love equals service to others. But on the other side, contrary to that, we could say liberty subtracted from love or love subtracted from liberty is nothing more than, than in a slave or slaves to sin, to self. You see, it's always about, about loving and serving self or loving and serving others as we serve God. There's no in-between. And the amazing thing about love for us to remember is this. Let's go back to the Old Testament even and the things that Jesus said. Love takes the place of every one of the laws that God has ever given us. In Romans chapter 13, if you remember in verses 8 through 10, it tells us this saying, Oh, no one anything except to love one another. For he who loves one another has fulfilled the law. For the commandments, you shall not commit adultery, you shall not murder, you shall not steal, you shall not bear false witness, you shall not covet. And he says, if there is any other commandment, all of these commandments, these and all the others, are summed up in this saying, namely, you shall love your neighbor as yourself. Love does no harm to a neighbor. Therefore, love is the fulfillment of the law. The point is this. If we love people because we love Jesus, think about it, then we won't steal from them. If we love people like we love Jesus, then we won't lie about them or any way try to hurt them. But we must also realize that the Holy Spirit within us is, is where this is manufactured. He gives us the love that we need. Apart from that, there is no love. Apart from the Holy Spirit and the indwelling of God through the Holy Spirit, we are left to ourselves, our sin nature. But apparently the Galatian believers, we, it, we have to conclude that they were lacking this at this time because they'd they were being tempted to come back under the law and, and, and it has stopped walking in God's grace and the empowering of the Holy Spirit because if you look at verse 15, it says, Paul, that they were biting and devouring one another and, and listen, guys, they were in danger of destroying one another. And at the very least, this should be proof to us today that the law cannot force people to get along with one another. Just think about it from a secular point of view. Probably still today, well not today, most of the legislators aren't working, they take these extended holidays, these public servants of ours, right? But we know on Tuesday and Wednesday, whether it's at the state level or on the federal level, they're gonna be busy making new laws for our benefit. (laughs) So So that there's harmony and peace in the world today forcing people to get along with one another. How well is that working? No. 
Therefore, listen, think about it on, on, from God's perspective and from God's kingdom, right? No matter how many rules or, or regulations or standards that we as a, we as a church employ or, or as individuals may try to take on or try out for ourselves, these rules and standards are no guarantee of spirituality or godly behavior. None. And if we do not permit the Holy Spirit to fill our hearts with his love, then this is what will reign in our heart. Selfishness. Self-centeredness. Self-seeking. And in light of this, I must point out that the Holy Spirit does not work in a vacuum. What do I mean by that? In other words, when it comes to filling our hearts with love, the Holy Spirit will use what we put in. Holy Spirit uses the word of God. We must be reading it, studying it. Holy Spirit uses prayer, worship, and fellowship in order to build us up from the inside out. And it's imperative for us to integrate these things into our daily lives as we yield to the working of the Holy Spirit. To live in the Spirit, to walk in the Spirit. That's what that means practically. And so it's the Holy Spirit who enables us to fulfill the law of love. And in the next verses, in verses 16 through 21, we're also told that it's the Holy Spirit who enables us to overcome our flesh, meaning that sin nature that we have. And in verse 16, it says, Paul writes, he says, I say then, having this freedom, this liberty to, to, to walk in love and to, to serve one another through love, he says, then walk in the Spirit and you shall not fulfill the lust of the flesh. For the flesh, our flesh, our sin nature, wars against the Spirit, lust against the Spirit, and the Spirit against the flesh. And these are contrary to one another. And what does that do? It, 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 they're contrary to one another. And so that you, that we do not do the things that we wish to do. But if you are led by the Spirit, you are not under the law. Now, the works of the flesh are evident. Here it is. Just in case we don't know it, but we do. Works of the flesh are evident, which are adultery, fornication, uncleanness, lewdness, idolatry, sorcery, hatred, contentions, jealousies, outbursts of wrath, selfish ambitions, dissensions, heresies, envy, murders, drunkenness, revelries, and, and the like, of which... Paul says, I've, I've told you beforehand, just as I told you in time past, that those who practice such things will not inherit the kingdom of God. Now look back at verse 17 with me real quick as we start to go through this, because verse 17 makes it clear that there's a conflict going on in the inside of us. And if the Holy Spirit controls our body, then we walk in the Spirit, but if our old nature controls our body, then we walk in the lust of the flesh, the desires of our flesh, the point is this, that the Holy Spirit and the flesh have very different appetites. Think about it like that. The Holy Spirit who is in us and our flesh that still rides there, our sin, our sin nature, have very different appetites. They crave very different things. And this is what creates that inner conflict that we all experience on a day-to-day -day basis. And these, op these, these opposite appetites are illustrated throughout the Bible in various ways, many different ways. But the bottom line is this, is that our old nature is always looking for something unclean to eat. Our sin nature is always looking for something unclean to feed on. While our new nature that has been born through the regeneration and empowering of the Holy Spirit 
hungers for what is clean, hungers for what is holy, hungers for what is righteous. And this conflict that we're speaking of is something that only a true believer in Christ Jesus can understand. Because Romans chapter 8, verse 9 tells us that an unbeliever knows nothing of this battle because he does not have the Holy Spirit of God living inside of them. And as we go through these verses, we must understand that we're being told that we simply cannot will ourselves to overcome our flesh. We can't simply strive within ourselves to be good, to do good. And this is Paul's point in verse 17 as he begins here when he says that our flesh and the spirit are against each other so that we don't do whatever we please. And this is the very problem that the apostle Paul was speaking out about in a very intimate and vulnerable way when he wrote in Romans chapter seven, verses 15 through 19 and said of himself, he says, for what I am doing, I do not understand He says, for what I will to do, the very thing that I want to do, he says, that I do not practice. He says, the very thing that I hate, that I don't want to do, that's what I find myself doing. He says, if then I do what I I will not to do, I agree with the law that it's good. But now it is no longer I who do it, but sin that dwells in me, my old nature, my flesh. For in me that is in my flesh, nothing good dwells. For the will is present with me, but how to perform what is good, he says, I do not find. For the good that I will to do, I do not do, but the evil I will not to do, that I practice. I think it's safe to say if the Apostle Paul had this struggle, then we too could honestly admit that we struggle in the same ways. And, and Paul is not denying that there is victory over our sin nature. We know that there is through Christ Jesus, through the empowering of the Holy Spirit, through being transformed by the renewing of our mind through the word of God. He's not denying that there is victory for our sin nature because there is. Rather, what he is simply pointing out is that we cannot win this battle over our sin nature on our own strength or by our own will. Therefore, the solution to our sin nature or our sin nature problem, according to verse 18, is not to stand our will up against our flesh, but to surrender our will, our lives, every aspect of it, to the Holy Spirit who lives inside of us. And this verse literally means, verse 18, that if we're being led by the Spirit, then we're not under the law. And this is because the Holy Spirit The Bible tells us this over and over again, that the Holy Spirit then, when he comes into us, writes God's law upon our heart. It's one of the Old Testament promises from the book of Joel and Jeremiah that has been promised and received through our faith in Jesus Christ. The law is written upon our hearts. And in doing so, then we have this desire to obey God, this conviction from within to love. And this is what Hebrews chapter 10, verses 14 through 17 summarizes for us. And 2 Corinthians chapter 3 tells us, furthermore, this is why David wrote in Psalm 40, verse 8, longing and speaking of it, he said, I delight to do your will, O God, O my God, and your law is written upon my heart. And it's illustrative of this, this place, this, this part of us where we, where we cherish and love something intimately and dearly. 
And so being led by the Spirit and walking in the Spirit are opposites of yielding to the desires of the flesh. The flesh, which Paul says in verse 24, look ahead a little bit, has been crucified by those who've put their faith in Jesus. And so to give us this really clear picture of what the flesh is and what the flesh produces, right, as if we don't know from our own selves, Paul in verses 19 to 21 gives us a list of some of the works of the flesh. And we can find similar lists throughout the Bible in the Gospel of Mark, in the book of Romans chapter 1, in 1 Timothy chapter 1. And the thing that should be obvious in light of these lists throughout Scripture about the works of the flesh but is often forgotten, this obvious truth is that the, the, is the fact that our flesh is able to manufacture sin. Our flesh is able to produce unrighteousness, but it can never produce or manufacture the righteousness of God. And this is why the Bible tells us in Jeremiah 17, verse 9, about our heart, that our heart is deceitful above all things and desperately wicked. Who can know it? So as, so as we look at this list, rather than dissect all the works of the flesh, I, want, I simply want to point out, if you're keeping notes today, that they can be divided into three categories. All the works of the flesh, not just these ones here. But there's three categories that it can be divided into. There are the sensual sins, which are adultery, fornication, uncleanness, and so on. Then there are what we would refer to as the superstitious sins, idolatry, which is putting anything ahead of God, sorcery, which is the Greek word pharmakia, and it means this, the use of mind and mood-altering drugs, and it refers to the fact that, that if, we are, if we are practicing that, then we are being controlled by a substance rather than being controlled by the Holy Spirit of God. Then lastly, there are what we might refer to as the social sins, such as hatred, jealousies, and outbursts of wrath selfish ambition, and the lies, the list goes on. But after this list, after Paul lists these things, he says here in verse 31 a very profound and kind of thought-provoking statement in, in a very chilling kind of way. He says, those who practice these things will not inherit the kingdom of God. And the key word is practice, meaning someone who has a habit of sin or, a, or, 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 or is given over to this as a way of life. But as believers who are filled with the Holy Spirit, we are, as Romans chapter 8 says, we are no longer debtors to our flesh, no longer in bondage to live this way, free to love and to serve through the empowering of the Holy Spirit. No longer are we in bondage to the desires of our flesh. Therefore, what should we do? Remember that appetite that's within us, two appetites. We should no longer feed that sin appetite, that sin nature. We should no longer make provision for our flesh by feeding it the things that it enjoys. And this is exactly what Romans chapter 13, verse 14 tells us when it says this. Put on the Lord Jesus Christ when we wake up in the morning, when we begin our day, what are we dressing ourselves with spiritually on the inside? And Paul says, put on the Lord Jesus Christ and make no provision for the flesh to fulfill its lusts. However, it's only through the power of the Holy Spirit that we can proceed to put to death the deeds of the flesh. 
that our body, that our, that our sin nature desires to do. So we're told in verse 24, if you look here again, the same verse I referenced earlier, that those who are Christ have crucified the flesh with his passions, with his desires. And, and it's, it's, it's really telling us this, that, it's, that we have an, a responsibility in this relationship to the Holy Spirit. We have a responsibility to act in faith. We're saved by, by grace through faith. We walk by faith through grace. And so we act in faith. What? Reckoning, it says, or literally considering ourselves to be did to sin. Do we set our minds upon that? Do we claim that as we go through our day, as we put on Christ and flee the flesh, did to sin but alive to God in Christ Jesus our Lord, just as Romans 6, 11 says. So, by way of review, the Holy Spirit enables us to fulfill the law through love, right? Love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your mind. Jesus said, this is the greatest commandment. He also said, I have another for you that is like it. Love your neighbor as yourself. In this, he says, all of the law is fulfilled and we know that we are equipped and empowered to do so by the Holy Spirit. Furthermore, the Holy Spirit enables us to overcome our flesh, our sin nature. We're no longer victims to that past, to this other appetite that's within us. And in the last verses, we're told that the Holy Spirit enables us to produce fruit, supernatural fruit. And in verse 22, we read of this, as it says, but the fruit of the Spirit is love. Joy, peace, long-suffering, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. Against such there is no law. And those who are in Christ have crucified flesh with its passions and desires. And so, verse 25, if we live in the Spirit, let us also walk in the Spirit. Let us not become conceited, provoking one another or envying one another. Let me say this, because... We've talked a lot about those who choose to live in very legalistic ways that want to put themselves under the law of God or in, under any number of, 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 of rules or regulations that they can devise for themselves or others or others can devise for them. And in that, I'll say this. It's one thing to overcome the flesh and not do evil things. But it's quite another thing to be able to do good things, to do the things of God. And many self-righteous legalists have boasted that, that they're not guilty. They're not guilty of adultery or murder or any of these other things. But the fact of the matter is, is that when you look at these people's lives and you look into their lives, the fruit of the Holy Spirit, as it is listed here, is not evident in their life. And this is because our flesh can only produce what Hebrews chapter 9, verse 14 says, is did works. But the Holy Spirit produces the opposite of that, living fruit. Dead works, living fruit. And the thing about fruit is this, is that fruit has in it the seed for more fruit, does it not? Meaning love always begets more love. Think about this spiritually and the spiritual fruit. Love produces love. Joy helps to produce more joy. And in light of the, this, this second list that we see here, that we read about here, we see the characteristics, characteristics 
that, uh, that God wants in our life, in the lives, and they're seen in what might be referred to as the ninefold fruit of the Holy Spirit. And like the first list, this list can also be divided into three different categories with the first qualities that really express our relationship towards God. They are God, word, or towards God aspects of our Christian life. And the first fruit in this category is love. And the reason why is because all the other fruits that we read about here are, are, are nothing more, nothing less than, than the outgrowth or the outpour of love. The Greek word used here for love is the word agape, and it, and it speaks of divine love, God's love. And this is, we know this is God's gift to us. And when a person lives, again, in that sphere of God's love, you know what happens? They experience joy. When you are loved by God, there is joy. And, and this is inward peace, an inward peace that God gives that the world cannot give, Jesus says, that is not affected by outward circumstances of this life. The next three fruits in the list express man's relationship towards man, a man-word relationship. It's this aspect of our Christian life. And, and this man-to-man or human-to-human or, or brother-to-brother aspect of, of, of these fruits is first long-suffering. I think that's profound. That, that, that we're called and, and given the, the supernatural fruit of the Holy Spirit by the indwelling of the Holy Spirit to be long-suffering with one another. Long-suffering can be defined as this, courageous endurance without quitting. And I think the church today needs a heavy dose of this within us, that we would look at one another and not quit. Be courageous to stand in there with one another no matter what. Long-suffering. There's kindness and goodness. Goodness is this. I see it as this, love in action. Isn't that a good definition for goodness? Love in action. And so when we're long-suffering, we will not avenge ourselves or wish difficulties on those who oppose us. And we'll be kind and we'll be gentle even with those who are being the most offensive to us. And we will show goodness where others so evil. And I point this out because human nature, our human nature, we, apart from the Holy Spirit of God, not one of us, no, not one, none of us can do this on our own. Only the Holy Spirit in us can. Because God alone is good. The final three fr fruits that we read about are what we might describe as self-word, inward, towards ourself. And it's faith, faithfulness, dependability, gentleness, which is also translated as meekness. You've heard this said before, perhaps it's simply power under control, and then lastly, self-control. And it is possible, I'll say this, for the old nature, for the sin nature, for men to counterfeit some of these fruits of the Spirit, but the flesh can never produce the fruit of the Spirit. In other words, one of the differences between what our flesh might counterfeit and when the Holy Spirit produces fruit is this. One of the significant differences always is that God gets the glory, not man. 
Nobody stands in the place of honor when the fruit of the Spirit is being manufactured from their life because they look at us and go, that's supernatural. That's God in you. That's not the way that people act and react to certain things. And in that, a believer, a Christian, we are not conscious of any kind of spirituality. You're not walking around and go, look at how spiritual I am. I'm loving, I'm being kind, I'm being long-suffering. But listen, when the flesh is at work, a person is proud of themselves. They glory in themselves. They boast in themselves. Keith, if you want to come on up, we're going to wrap it up with this this morning. The bottom line is this, guys. The work of the Holy Spirit is, is to make us more like Jesus. And I'm telling you, there's times when I'm fighting against my flesh and you too where I'm angry or frustrated or fearful or disappointed and, and I want to lash out and, 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 and Jesus whispers in my ear, the Holy Spirit convicts me and he's all, do you want to be more like Jesus or do you want to be more like you, Sean? And in the moment, it's a battle. I'm like, but I want to do this. But on the same thing, I want to be like Jesus who is, who is good and kind and loving and gracious and forgiving and merciful. See, listen, we live in a world where people around us are starving for love. They're starving for joy. They're starving for peace and all the other graces or fruit of the Holy Spirit. And when they find themselves in our lives and these are being produced through our lives, they know that they are lacking something and they long for it. We do not bear fruit for our own consumption. We bear fruit so that others might be fed, so that others might be helped, so that Jesus might be glorified. In short, the secret of the whole thing, guys, to live by grace through faith, to be saved by grace through faith, to live in this call to liberty. The secret's the Holy Spirit because he's the only one that gives us this fifth freedom, freedom from sin and freedom from ourself. And the Holy Spirit is the only one that can enable us to fulfill this law of love, to overcome our flesh and to bear spiritual fruit. But the question is this, this morning. The question that must be asked is, is will we submit? Will we yield ourselves to the Lordship of Jesus Christ, and to the empowering of the Holy Spirit? Will we put on Jesus? Will we reckon the old man dead? Will we walk in the Spirit and allow God to work in us and through us for his glory and for the building of his kingdom? And Father, I pray, God, that that would be true. And we confess before you and now, God, that apart from you there's no hope for us, for this life or for the life to come. And Father, we desire to do your will, so may you live and reign in us. May you empower us through the Holy Spirit. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. Will you stand?